There'd be a lot of poop in my hands. <laughs> Seen a six-foot alligator go swinging through the air and slam into a tree. These guys are the scientists of the supernatural, lecturers leaving lessons for inquiring laymen. They are applying the scientific method to a world that baffles science. They are the cryptids of the corn. But who else has big black wings and red eyes? Um, Batman. Oh, Mothman. Oh yeah, Mothman. A great white shark was stolen. Oh, someone stole a shark? I got stuff for you you don't even know about. She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. Who knows? Anything could be possible. Anything could be possible. It's really big. Mm -hmm. Abduction vibes. Holy moly. It sounds like you were abducted. And it just stood up. I mean, it just like kept going and going. And she goes, what the... guy from the kid from hey arnold that's hovering welcome back to crypt is the corn podcast i'm the great and green thumbed mystery green thumbed and you are i am jay clone uh 47 morning yep 47 significance behind that number which is uh it's right before 48 <laughs> and right after 46 yeah most people didn't know that all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Now, I know we moved most of the front of house stuff until Wednesdays. Yeah. I do want to mention, though, this weekend is CryptoCon. If you're coming, come hang out. It's going to be a lot of fun. CryptidCon. We always tr we tend to hang out at the bar afterwards that's yeah. in the hotel, so we'll have it's a lot a fun of fun. It's a fun one. It's our last one of the season, so we're going to be amped up. We're going to have a good time. I got extra stomach pills. And we got the- And I bring a bucket. The newest edition. The, the bus. bus. We've got a bus. Oh my gosh, yeah. All right, you ready for this, Boogaloo? Huh? Cryptobotany Part 2. Part 2, ooh. Sentient plants. Oh, here we go. I've seen, that's weird. I Just recently, I've seen a lot of like plant or living plants. Uh, plants are living. Well, I mean like uh, moving, walking, uh, plants that seem to be uh, reaching out and grabbing people, uh, things like that. Now, there's... On my timelines of yeah, social media we'll, that's we'll, going around we'll right now. We're talk about with plants. But just the fact that they may be some different form of sentience, like mm -hmm. we've talked about with fungus. Yeah. The, where they have some level of intelligence, it's just very different than ours. So right. it's very hard to understand. Some sort of communal intelligence, too. So this is by Sophie. I'm not even trying to say her last name. Uh, this article where we're going to go over first. Okay. And it's dealing with a lot of the controversy over sentient plants. Okay. There's a lot. I'm sure. The title of the article, Is Plant Intelligence Just a Human Fantasy? Mm. So although plants make up about 80% of the biomass on Earth, and before we even get into it, I'm going to say that's a little skewed, because most of that is algae. Uh, okay. Very simple plants. So are they asking, is this the real life, or is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide. I don't know the next line. No escape from reality. All right, that's enough. Okay. Although plants make up 80% of our biomass on Earth, for centuries they've been thought to as almost been like inanimate objects. Yeah, right. I mean. Or passive things. Right, exactly. You water it, you throw a little poo around it, and it grows so, nice and So researchers <laughs> have strong. coined the term plant blindness. <laughs> What's that mean? It refers to the cognitive bias that literally makes up our brain zone out they, like our brain zone up plants as a part of the environment. They're not a living thing. Gotcha. Okay. That's the big problem with people trying to understand them is when you walk in the woods. It's just part of the world we it live might, in. It's just like a rock. Yeah, exactly. Might you as don't well think be. about it. Yeah. It's, it's true. I agree with that. Uh, but as researchers or as research into the plant world has blossomed over the last 40 years. Blossomed. <laughs> Thanks in part to new biotechnologies allowing scientists to study the gene expression, scientists are discovering how truly alive plants are. Even the new relationship changes our knowledge of plants' abilities, though the debate of whether plants are conscious or considered sentient remains continuous. Mm. We don't know. Right. It's they talking about like when they hook up those uh, little things like yeah. uh, that play the sound, the synth, the synth, uh, what are those called? Synth, uh, synthesizers. The synthesizers to the plants, yeah. 
Uh, Gizmodo is the main guy we're going to talk about. He's a he's a botanist. Okay, that's a but cool name. I think I think it's Italian. Okay, I don't know though. It sounds like a video game. Or sorry, Claire, Clara Gizmo. Never mind. I got a quote. Okay. I think plants are massively taken for granted. I think they are extremely sophisticated organism. They are adapting exquisitely to well as to changes around them all the time, including modern industrialization. Mm-hmm. And that's from Claire Garson, a plant biologist from the University of Bristol's. I think that whole name just changed. Yeah. Claire. Clara? Okay. I, I, I can never tell Claire and Clara. That's to each their own. That's close enough. All right. So I think we can learn a hell of a lot from plant. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much her quote. I think we can learn a hell of a lot from plants. She used some more colorful words. I had to clear out. PG it up. Yeah. Scientific research into plants is continuously dates back to, or scientific research into plant cognition has dates back all the way to Charles Darwin. Oh, boy. Who drew the parallels between plant roots and the brain system. Okay. It's weird because people dealt with trees and lungs and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, all the time, which is pretty, I mean, sometimes it's pretty awesome. Yeah. I always like the one how uh, trees, if you look at them, it's almost like a big river system. Like the trunks, you know, the main river, then everyone's it's a little branches, a little different. Life is all connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so studies circle around the world have taken the leaf out of this book. Uh, the, conservational published, the controversial publishing of The Secret Life of Plants in the 1970s, which goes as far as saying plants can read human minds. Ooh. To uh, Don, okay, here's a name for you. Yeah. Or Daniel, I'm sorry. Daniel Chamowitz. Okay. Chamowitz. And he had his book in 2013 that says, What a Plant Knows. Hmm. Which explores the plant's accurate senses to te- that helps them teach or detect around the world. So their ability to sense the environment around them. Mm-hmm. Although no plant has a central nerve system, some researchers explore the field of neurobiology in botany. So... Like we talked about with the fungus, they don't have a central nerve system. They have a different thing that's similar. Right. So do plants. It's different, but it does the same thing. Gotcha. The International Laboratory of Plant Neurology or Neurobiology is in Florence, Italy, and it argues that having a brain should not be a prere- or prerequisite for intelligence. And I fully agree with that. Yeah. They're like well, fungus are the biggest example, and that's why they've been left out of this, you know, this loop because they don't have a central nervous system. They don't have a brain. But we know they're intelligent. Yes. And look at jellyfish, for example. They are animals. They do not have a brain. They barely have a centralized nerve system. And they can navigate complex courses, like mm-hmm. mazes in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when your body's that fragile, that you have to be able to detect the environment around you. They have 26 eyes, some species. Yeah, or you won't survive. Yeah. So a brain doesn't necessarily indicate intelligence. It is helpful. Tell that to the scarecrow. Well, how did how did he talk without a brain? Oh, you're right. See, Come on. point proven. <laughs> we firmly think that all the behaviors observed in plants, which look very much like learning, memory, decision making, and intelligence observed in animals, deserve to be called the same terms. Says this laboratory. Mm-hmm. Basically, we can observe a lot of stuff in plants that would be behaviors that you would see in animals. Okay. And so, why aren't we saying that they, you know, they're some time level of intelligence? And before I continue on with this, you know, we'll talk about the end with the trees, like yeah. the local trees saving their offspring, yeah. providing nutrients for their offspring and stuff like that. Those are, in my opinion, conscious decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there's a tree out there that's doing math or complex figuring in its head, but to say that they are inintelligent or inanimate objects is a big disservice to the environment. I want, right. I agree with that 100%. I wonder, too, though, if they have, like, any morality system. So wouldn't that be funny? Like there's like a well for a thing that tree. can't really move. <laughs> I know, but very at least distances. There's like one tree out there that's just like a prick, and he's just like doing little things, like subtle things, to ruin everything else around it. He's just that cranky old tree that's been there for you know three centuries. So this is for the professor of the University of Florence, Santafino Manicuso. Okay. So he says, plants are conscious, according to this. He's the director of that laboratory I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, his case for plant consciousness hinges on the evidence that their awareness of their existence, of their surroundings, and their passage of time. Among other things, he suggests quotes that their renowned physics, uh, the renowned physics of Mincho Ku, 
and argues that if consciousness is the ability to build the model of yourself in a relationship to space, time, and others, then plants, therefore, must be conscious because they are sensitive to the chemicals and physical stimuli and other components between themselves and other plants around them. Mm-hmm. Did that make sense? It did, actually. Okay. Yes. So, basically, I don't know, let's just say a tree out in the Consciousness woods. and sentience are a little different. Yes. Consciousness is the lower version of sentience. Sentience is like self-awareness. Sentience is it's a like, little higher end. It's, it's hard. It's not a. It's not a good written dis- difference. I was just say it. Consciousness is like like I just said. It's being reacting to stimuli in your environment, right, moving yeah. around. Sentience, in my opinion, would be like it's conscious, but it knows it's conscious. That's the difference. Yes, I, I'd say that's a good one. Like it's aware that it's conscious, yeah. and it's space in the universe and stuff like that. Yeah, like. I'd say that's the big difference, you know, like a big cat hunting knows it's a big cat. It's hunting. It's doing all this stuff. But does it think about the population of big cats around the world? Does it think about itself in that population? You know, that's probably consciousness, not. right? Yeah. I'd saying? say the simple thing is conscious or the yeah. consciousness. The cat knows it's a cat hunting. Yes. But does it think about the other big cats around the world? Probably not. And it's role in sentience. The, it's role in the environment. Yeah. It's role in the food chain. It's that would be sentience. Right. Those are just arguings. Uh, okay, where was I? So plants even deserve rights, he writes in his book. And this is not English, so I'm going to try to read the title. Las Nazarene del Planti. Oh, that sounded nice. Which he drafts on the eighth article of Plants Constitution for only true and ethereal powerful nations of the plants. That's kind of what it breaks down to. Okay. Basically saying they deserve rights because they're sentient or conscious beings like everything else which you know and especially with rare plants or endangered plants of course they deserve rights i agree with that this is going to be the worst episode ever for we've ruined vegetarians and vegans <laughs> because their whole morality stance of not eating things that, that are, are conscious conscious they're, they're yeah. all conscious everything is everything that is alive exactly anyways uh the controversial study into plant consciousness have been concluded by Morikai Gaglioni, a researcher in plant behaviors at the University of Sydney. In 2014, Gaglioni tested this uh, this shy plant, or sensitive plant is its nickname. It's got a big scientific name, Masoni Pardaglia, for its ability to change and threat response. So it curls up its leaves. After multiple false alarms, researchers dropped the plant repeatedly until it eventually learned that there was no real threat and it stopped curling up its leaves. So this plant oh, wow. has its, it almost looks like a fern. Yeah. And if something bumps its leaf, it curls up and balls up as a defensive thing so things can't eat its leaves. Okay. So they taught this plant. They kept messing with it, messing with it, messing with it, and finally realized, okay, I'm not going to get eaten. Yeah, I'm not going to furl up. Yeah. So they taught this plant that. And it, so it stopped. So the researchers, yeah, they it, this eventually learned that there was no real threat and it stopped curling its leaves at least in the team's interpretation of the study. Yeah, until they took a pair of scissors to it and then see if it started curling up again. According to the study, the plant retained the, its learned information for months after the experiment, suggesting memory longer than that of some animals. Hmm. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. In 2016, <laughs> the study was also conducted that shows that a garden pea is capable of associated learning, predicting one of these th- or one thing according to its associated cues, which is a complex cognitive ability few animals boast Mm, okay so basically chain reactions Mm -hmm. that some the study shows it's a big long stupid study not stupid as in it's stupid stupid as in it's complex right yeah it's very hard to explain without graphs and basically the opposite of stupid yeah (laughs) stupid to understand yeah yeah but basically these peas learn complex chain events or so they claim in the study Mm mm-hmm for the first one, the shy plant, one of the big negative effects or one of the big concerns is that they burnt up the simple sugars that the plant uses to, to do that, yeah. to curl up. That's kind of what I was thinking at first. That could be said also. It's just fatigue yeah, set in. You did it too much. Yeah. But that is, you know, I've had a shy plant before. Really? Yeah, when I used to have my big, oh, it's not a carnivorous plant, but I used to have a big carnivorous plant collection at the old house. Hmm. And and one of, I had a shy plant. You could touch it and it would curl all the way up. That's pretty cool. And sometimes it was really fast. Sometimes it was really slow. Yeah. Like sometimes you'd bump it and like five minutes later it would all be balled up. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty neat. Sometimes it was like right Instant, now. Instant. Like a Venus flytrap closing. Yeah. yeah. Same, same. They're not muscles. 
It's more it's more closely related to like hydraulic systems. Yeah. With how it works. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So in this findings, for example, it's just the plant sensitivity to reduce for a reason other than learning, like overstimulation, like we just kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. It's likely the researchers uh, were wanting to see the plant intelligence or not, and the effects that were interpreted the findings in that kind of study. So that's one of the big negativities is saying that they wanted to prove that plants were conscious. So whatever results they got, they were going to twist to make it fit the end. Right, skew it. Lying with statistics. Yes. And I wouldn't even call it lying. It's more that they wanted that be true so bad that you kind of get blinded. Yeah, just more in that vein of that thought of lying with statistics. So in fact, no academics feel comfortable drawing comparisons between humans and plants. Uh, Last year, a group of scientists published this downright exaggerated paper challenging the increasingly common view that plants possess consciousness. So this is a, a big article attacking in the other way. Okay. It's called Plants Neither Pose Nor Require Consciousness is the name of the article. And this is what scientists do. Oh, for sure. Scientists, and keep in mind, everybody, I was a field biologist, scientists fight all the time. What else are they going to do? Because there's no money. Yeah. So there, there's very limited funding. So you have to make everybody else look stupid but you. I'm not, it's, that's why it happens. I believe it. In claiming that plants have consciousness, pure neurobiologists have constantly uh, overtly glossed over the remarkable degree of structural and functional cap- complexities of the brain had to evolve for consciousness to emerge. This article, for me, is going heavily the other way of human-skewed intelligence, where humans need to be on top. They need to feel superior. Like they're the number one. Yes. Yes. So this is the other way that's saying that we are the most complex things. We are this incredible thing, which we are. We're incredible creations. But there are other extremely remarkable creations on the planet as well. Oh, for sure. So like uh, we talked about this off air, the brain to body mass ratio. So humans, you say we had the biggest brains until you look at cetaceans and some other animals. And you're like, okay, we don't have the biggest brains. We have the biggest brains per body mass ratio. Right. And we don't even have that. That nope. belongs to most birds. Like, didn't you say like ravens? And ravens, magpies, that family that's remarkably intelligent. Yeah. Remember hundreds of human faces. Uh-huh. Those, they're really neat, too. There's, I've heard stories of like ravens will gift you things. Well, I've also heard horror stories. Oh, like what they're mean? A guy, uh, a guy hated another guy in an office. He what? He hated, he hated okay. another guy in an office. Okay. And he would, he printed off a picture of the guy's face. Okay. Put it on his face and would throw rocks at ravens for like a week outside the office. And he hit one finally and hurt one. And then like that next like month, these ravens just mugged this guy, really? the other guy. Well, I mean, because they remembered his face. Yeah. And they seen him and they were just dropped. Like, That's they, a true story. Yes. No, they freaking broke his way. window and everything, his car window, because they no. were dropping rocks on it. No way. I promise. No, they're smart. A guy documented it. I think you can still find it on YouTube. They're smart. All right. So they replaced the word intelligence with adaptive behavior in this new study. Okay. That's arguing back that they have adaptive behaviors. But to me, behaviors fall into intelligence. Intelligence, yeah. I'm just saying, you know. Depending on how you define consciousness or intelligence, you could have a definition that would include plants or not include plants. Okay. Once again, this is just all this. It's all words. Mm-hmm. It's just all mumbo, like how you frame it with the words you decide to choose. It's how you frame it with the words you decide. And it's very much, you are. I mean, you're 100% correct. I just liked how you put that. Okay. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're glucose driven. You know, there's, they're, <sighs> this article goes on for like another 10 pages. We're going to kind of cut it off. I okay. just want to get the basics. Right, yeah. There's been hundreds of studies in this. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and too much for us to go into. And right. I have cryptids at the end. I have more cryptid plants for everybody. Don't worry. All right. But I really wanted to dive into this, and me and you talk about it, that plants, the whole world is intelligent. And I'm talking from a scientific view. Yeah. But how many religions or spiritual journeys talk about this oneness of the planet, this connective building? Right, yeah. I think it's fungus mostly that they're talking about because fungus integrates in with everything. 90% of plants can't survive their life cycle without with a fungus, fungus at one stage. Yeah. It's it's the biological, uh, what's the word uh, I'm looking for? The biological thing you can put your finger on that says like that actually connects, makes us all one. Now let's talk about 
fungus a relationship evidence, yeah. with plants. Yep. We uh, talked a lot, especially last week, we talked a lot about fungal intelligence. Yeah. Wouldn't that help plants of all of that? Intelligence? If they are so heavily integrated, the fungus is helping them along, helping them adapt, mm-hmm. helping them get over certain stimuli, certain problems, mm-hmm. remembering things. Wouldn't that help drag them along? And if they're so integrated to each other, at what point does the fungus stop and the plant begins? Right, yeah. It's you hard. can talk about DNA and stuff like that. Like, But the mycelium networks are integrated into the plants. Right, exactly. They're, they're part integrated. Of it. They're part of it. They're exchanging nutrients back and forth for mm. the plant's benefits. Yeah. So we'll talk about the tree thing. And this is an argued thing. It's still in botany. Uh, that trees, specifically take care of their offspring in some way, shape, or form. And I'm sure we've talked about it on the main show, but uh, Ron Cass is an old professor I had, and he was he's a botanist down at Hawking College. I don't know if he's still there or not. He may what, be retired. What was his name? Ron Cass. Ron Cass? Yeah. His last name is Cass? Yeah. Okay. Like, I think it's C-A-S-S. I okay. Think, I think. Just the way, it, it sounded like you said Ron Cass at first, like it was a pot, another podcast. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a perfect name for... Anyways, start one. He's a botanist down there. Yeah. So what happens is, and everybody's seen, you know, especially driving through hilly country, you see after it's raining or during it's raining, you'll see a small group of trees, and you'll see what looks like steam coming off just one tree. Mm-hmm. What is happening is, and once again, you can go find articles that say I'm wrong. You can find a bunch of Sam right. It's just what happens with science and biology. Yep. So what's happening is. Is that these trees? They're off. So these trees, they partially breathe through their root systems, and they partially breathe through their leaf systems. The little trees around these, in the, underneath these big trees, can't get enough air, and they start drowning essentially. So they release chemicals saying, "Help! Help! Help! I'm drowning." Mm-hmm. So the big tree, which is most 99 percent of the time the parent, right. one or the other, you know, they don't have sexes like we do. It's a different reproductive system. It was the one there before. Yeah. They're their direct parent. Yeah. Will drink up all the water it can and push it out through its leaves. It vaporizes the leaf. You know, it's 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 vaporizing. It's turning the water in the ground into vapor. Which is to that, help save its offspring. Which is that cloud you see after that cloud. It's pushing yeah. Trees, yeah. It's drinking all the water it can and pushing out through the top to try to save its offspring. Like a humidifier. Yeah. So its offspring also, during disease and stuff like that, it will dump nutrients in the right near the offspring's root systems. Because what this tree wants to happen is when it dies, when it loses its spot in the canopy, canopy space is very hard to come by. Yeah. It wants to make sure one of its offspring takes over its canopy space. It wants to include its, make sure its genetics, like any other living thing, wants to make specifically, you know, we talk about with us, you know, we care for our our direct children right, more yeah. than any other child, even though you do care for everybody's, but you care for your child's success right. first. You want to pass it, your stuff on to them first. So if you fought for this big canopy space your whole life, you're 300 years old, Yeah, <laughs> you want to make sure that your kid's ready to go. So this tree may be stunted for a long period of time, waiting for its, you know, parent to pass or whatever, right. or a windstorm. Yeah. yeah. If they get damaged, if they die, or they're starting to die, We've seen this with disease and termite infestations or whatever. It dumps all of its nutrients it's saved up over its life to its children. Yeah. So basically, it's making sure that its children are ready. Hey, I'm about to drop. You got to get ready to grow and take over the spot because it's going to be hard competition. Right. Yep. I'm giving you your best option to take over my spot. See now, and then that's where they fall on these scientists on both sides of the sword is, is that intelligence or is that just reaction to their environment see that's pretty that's me re- like and this is that's a big fight right exactly that's a big fight and i there's an argument to be made on both sides yeah because it's all species yeah plant fungus animal doesn't matter eukaryotic bacteria doesn't matter you know they they want to pass on their genes yep but to me that is doing a very certain way mm-hmm. that possesses some level of intelligence i agree and I'm not saying that they're like I said earlier. I'm not saying they're doing complex math equations in their right. in their minds, right? But I do think there's something there, and we've there's all these weird experiments that have had both negative and positive results with music and talking to your plants and them reacting to their environment. Mm-hmm. You know, these we don't have many in the U.S. anymore until you go out west, but forest kings are a certain category of tree. Okay, 
they are literally normally what a giant chunk of the forest is made over a forest king. They're very rare on the East Coast. They're almost all gone. Right, yeah. But there's some odd studies going on with forest kings that they may be more heavily integrated with the fungal mat and the ground and everything that they are literally, if you want to go more paranormal, these are your your, your forest guardians. Yeah. You know, how many sprites or spirits or fae do you hear going in and out of these giant gnarled trees? trees yeah. It's because they're forest kings. It's the oldest tree in the forest generally, and it's holding tons and tons and tons of stuff together. It's really, it's just, I guess the whole point of this first half of this episode is just to point out that plants are heavily overlooked in biology itself, let alone the world. Yeah, I agree with that. And then we're making pretty much, I'm not saying we shouldn't make everything out of trees or whatever, but I'm just, there should be a little more respect. For sure, yeah. And it's like, I'm fine eating animals, but you should respect the animal, care for the animal. There should be, a, a you know, this relationship. We are animals. We can't exist without eating plants and animals. Right, exactly. Unless you're a breathitarian. Good, yeah, breathitarian for, you know, a week. <laughs> yeah. Guys, they have short lifespans. I don't know why. Oh, well, you know. But They'll look like Gandhi. It's an enlightened lifespan. It's an enlightened lifespan. Yes. Very politically correct of you. Because you're not... Consuming any conscious, uh, air is conscious. In a way, I think it is actually. Well, it's this is getting back to the the planet's all right. It's kind of one living thing. Well, the, the planet itself is a living organism. You know, a giant living plane. I don't even know what you want to call it. A giant living thing. And there's this whole thing. Like, was it The Shining that was plants killing everybody? Uh, not the sh- uh, The Shining. Uh, which movie was it that they? I can't now. I can't remember. So spoilers for a movie I can't even remember the I name. I was thinking of. Pet Shop of Horrors. No, no, no. That not Pet Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of or Horrors. Or Little Shop of Horrors. Yes, yes. Audrey. The the big uh, yeah. uh, Venus flytrap thing. Yeah. Basically. No, basically it was one of these movies where everybody start kill everybody start killing each other. Asuka's plants released a compound. Hmm. I don't know. I don't think it was Shining. That's that's the movie with where he goes crazy in the hotel. And it wasn't The Shining then. It yeah. was. It was one of these big horror movies. Okay, yeah. And it was because plants released a pheromone. Somebody will know listening. Yeah. You'll know. Remind us. Leave a comment. So what's your thoughts about plant sentient ship or intelligence or how would you? Well, I see both sides of it. Like I can see where it's just reacting to its environment. But, you know, the environment itself and whole is alive, you know. You know, even down to everything. Anything with a cell structure with, you know multi-cell organisms, even single cell, they all have, they're all alive. You know, they have some form of intelligence. Now, whether or not you're ranking that as conscious intelligence or if it's just reactionary intelligence, you know, like a Venus flytrap, you know, you trigger little hairs on it and it closes. Is it closing because uh, it knows there's food in there or is it just 100% reaction? Like it, there's, I can see both sides of it, but I do believe that it it is some Form of intelligent, conscious intelligence. It's funny you brought up Venus flytrap. So there's some evidence to suggest that either they're not sure if it's chemical because they get triggered by hair, right? Little yeah. hairs in the in, in the, the inside, mouth, yeah, uh, which closes it and basically becomes a stomach. Yeah, uh, there's certain species of insect they won't do that with. Really? Yeah, specifically a lot of wasp because they'll just eat their way out. Yeah. So there's they're not sure if they're doing it by chemical stimuli mm. also. Yeah. To where, like, the, the hair stimuli may be triggering, like, hey, pay attention, what's in your mouth? Yep. And then they're like, okay, oh, that's a, I can't remember, it's mud dauber wasp or something, some type of wasp. They where they'll just eat their, they'll eat their way out yes. and kill the plant. So they know don't they're eat like, it. They're like, yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah. Huh. That's, that's see, now that's saying something. But is that conscious, or right. is it because every plant that would eat a wasp is already dead, but, so it's selectively, the wasp selectively bred the ones that don't close on them. Gotcha, Yeah. Um, perhaps, yeah, but uh, that's a form of con or intelligence in itself to be. I don't know, like if you keep zooming out, what cr- what created it to have that ability in the first place to develop I will never, that ability. That ability. is, and you know my opinions on the theory of evolution as a whole. I do believe species adapt and change over time. Yeah, that is one of my big ones. Is what you point at and be like, that makes no freaking sense, right? Because <laughs> the whole theory of evolution for Venus flytraps, pitcher plants are a little different because they actually have they just have a digestive enzyme in their water that they catch in their mouth and their flower. Okay. So that's a little easier to explain than this closing mechanism with this digestive yeah. enzymes. 
it doesn't make any sense because it's low low uh, nutrient soil environment, so they had to start eating. It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I just leave it at that. No, so plants are sentient. I think so. yeah. I think I think so. But carnivorous plants. I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about the study? There's been hundreds of studies with them. Like I said, sensing good vibes, people call it, and like sensing all the reactions and polygraph tests. Those, yeah. Those old famous polygraph tests with plants from plants. like the 60s. I, I I mean, I just fall on it. Yeah. I can see both sides of it, but I do think they have some form of intelligence. Um, you know, I think they're all teeming with a lot of energy. And when, especially when you get woods and stuff that together, that's collectively that all builds up and, you know, that may explain some of your forest elemental and elementals and spirits and things like, like a computer. Yeah. Kind of like that. And then they can, who knows what they actually can are capable of, or if they do have their own form of thinking, they're all constantly communicating with each other and then can like team up, work together or, you know, to, to project some of these or have some of these. Uh, elemental spirits, you know, manifest themselves or move things or create things like, uh, like we've talked about, you know, people seeing invisible or not seeing, but feeling invisible things running right by them. If it's just like, what if it's all just the trees screwing with you? Yeah. Just screwing with you or just like trying to make some, their presence known or make contact with you in some, in some way or another. Who, I mean, I don't know. I just can't rule anything out at this point. So I think they are intelligent, yes. Okay. Your, your plants are intelligent. Yep. Confirmed. Confirmed. <laughs> but let's – okay, carnivorous plants. Because last time we did a crypto carnivorous plant was the one in uh, Madagascar. Madagascar. We did some others, like the migrating trees, and we've done walking yeah. trees and stuff like that. But not so much carnivorous where they're uh, these, Most of these are carnivorous. I, I have a variety. I have a variety. Okay. I tried to get several countries. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and – that one didn't – we didn't re- receive too much uh, feedback from that one. But Which I really – the first crypto – Oh, people loved crypto Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. It's because I don't remember seeing too much, reading too How much. How would you know? Because we talk about it all the time. You don't get the emails. I know. I don't. But I get it I get it by proxy through you. Okay. All right. So I got – I think I got four. I can't remember now. Okay. That's like a week ago. Okay. Uh, the first one, I try to get it from all kinds of different countries from around the world. Devouring gourds. Gourds? Gourds. Oh, boy. Okay, this is like a Halloween special. Bantu. Uh, Bantu is a group from Africa. So this is older legend. So before Africa, it was all split up in all these little countries. Uh-huh. It's pretty much not South Africa, the country. Right. But south of Southern the south Africa. half of Africa yes. is the Bantu people. Okay. And this is one of their legends. So gourds or pumpkins have the potential to grow into huge devouring creatures. Such plants are said to grow where evil sources or ogres or slain. Ogres? Ogres. It's different. Okay, what's it's, that? It's a, I guess you could call it an ogre for them. It's like a, an evil creature in their oh, okay. folklore. Okay. So basically it's saying that- Like a nundi bear. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong part of Africa. Oh, darn it. Uh, anyways, it's like uh, basically saying that, that where you kill these evil creatures- that there is a potential for evil to go into the ground. Ooh, okay. And, but that's we have some Native American folklores that are very similar. That it becomes you know sacred ground, or not a good way. Well, you you don't mess seen, with ground. You ever seen the movie Ghost? Mm. When Willie Lopez dies and those things come from the ground, the spirits, and they grab him and pull him into the ground. There mm-hmm. we go. Confirmed. <laughs> According to the legends, the devouring gourd, uh, uh, Ushambara was discovered by a group of little boys at play. They said, look at how big the gourd is getting, said one of the boys. To their surprise, the gourd responded. (laughs) If you pluck me, I pluck you. That's okay. That's frightening. It said, and the boys ran home to tell their mother, who refused to believe them. But their sister insisted they were seeing a large gourd, and they uh, they were taken to it. They said as their brother had. Look how big the gourd is getting. This time, the gourd did not respond, and the girls went home to complain to their brothers about being liars. As the gourd was not plucked, it continued to grow. Eventually, it became the size of a house. Dang. It uprooted itself, and it went about swallowing everyone in the village. (laughs) After consuming everyone within its reach, 
It rolled into a lake. Only one woman had survived the gourd's rampage, and she was pregnant, and her son was born, and they lived together in the ruins of their village. When the son got around to asking where his father was, his mother had told him, he was swallowed up by the gourd, which is now in the lake. The son decided to avenge his father and went out to the lake where he could see the gourd's ears sticking up out of the water. And he proceeded to taunt the vegetable. Gourd, come out. Gourd, come out, he yelled. Gourd, the gourd, come out. Annoying and enraging the gourd. It hurled itself out of the lake and the boy was ready for it. He fired a volley of arrows into it. The 10th arrow had killed it. It did die, and it did die with a roar. It was heard all through the way. The boy cut it open with a knife, releasing all the villagers that were unharmed in its stomach. They went out to become a great leader of his people. The gourds are not the only plants that devour and kill people. Another carnivorous plant, the pumpkin, grew uh, from various locations of evil, shape-shifting porcupines. Ooh. Shape-shifting porcupines? Evil, shape-shifting porcupines. Okay. It repeated, uh, it repeated everything, pretty much. It was brought to be destroyed by an axe, and it was released to everybody. <laughs> Another one from a different culture. It was poisoned by several sol- sola fruits, which are a poisonous fruit. Okay. Yeah. So, shape-shifting porcupines. What's that sound like? Skinwalker? Puckwudgies. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Ah. Oh. But this is Africa. Right, yeah. Oh, wow. So, uh, this is also one of the creation stories for hippos. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What, they're the gourds? Yeah, because hippos, you kind of look at their shapes, they're kind of shaped like these gourds, and they have the ears poking out, and they live hmm. in the water, and they're monsters. Hmm, interesting. African legends are really fun, because they, the creation, especially creation right. legends. And that kind of, I always had this thought in my head, too. Uh, you know, you see, like, the ancient cave paintings mm-hmm. and stuff, and they always depict, like, animals and them hunting and stuff. I always had a thought one time, I think it was from watching that Aboriginal documentary or something. They had uh, their cave paintings, and they had the one with the big rainbow serpent, serpent mm-hmm. and then they had all these different animals. Some of them were ones they knew of. Some of them were other ones they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then, but I always thought, what if it was, like, the first kind of people in the area and through their minds, through their thoughts, they created these animals in their heads that would, you know, good for certain tasks in the area, like for the environment and stuff. But it was all the creation of the human mind. And then once they put it out there, you know, on the painting or whatever, on the cave wall, then it kind of forced itself into reality and they go out into the area where it was supposed to be, where they thought it would be. And then sure enough, it was there because, their minds created everything. Those are definitely thoughts. So those are definitely thoughts you've had. What if, like early human beings, this is how things like the this is how animals came about. It was all creations of the human mind. No, I think the gourd did it. But maybe they did created you not hear the, the story. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just read you the story. What if they created the gourd, the talking gourd? The gourd did it. Yeah. No, other way around. The gourd created everything. Anyways. I don't know, like, there's, with these carnivorous gourds, they kind of also remind me of, I'm not sure if we talked about last time or not, the carnivorous rocks of North America. Yeah. Which, they're said to be living stones. Right. But I think they're, there's a lot of plants that even look like rocks. Uh Uh-huh. I kind of think they're those. Didn't you even speculate they could be, like, mushrooms or something? There could be fungus, too. There's a couple fungus that look like rocks. Uh, But there's there's a plant that looks like a big stone that's called the bleeding rock. Yeah. But it's a plant. Oh, okay, it is a plant. Okay. Uh-huh. This reminds me, um, this brings a whole new uh, meaning to the song, Follow the Drinking Gourd. Yeah, don't follow this one. No. Uh, and just imagine if he was drunk. How Maybe he was drunk. That's why he violently murdered the whole town. He just had to, it was a gourd was on too much of a bender. So you want you ready for the next one or do you have anything to add for the African giant gourd? It's a, it's a fun, uh, I, I, I feel like it's just a story. Probably. Probably, I don't too. know though. But I like the idea of it. It's 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 from ancient, you know, not yeah. an ancient ancient culture, but an older culture, right? And I think I think a lot of those two, you know, our stories are you know changed through the game of telephone over time. But to explain, like we talked about before, um, other dangers in the area that you need to be aware of. But they create these stories to kind of personify mm-hmm. them, like a talking gourd. <laughs> don't talk if something's. If there's a plant talking to you, avoid it it. or burn it. Burn it before it gets too big. Yeah, when it says pluck it, 
Like the first time Audrey talked in Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, just burn it. Like, oh, you could talk? No, that wouldn't have been my reaction. Especially because he's been feeding its blood, his own blood for a while. Yeah. Feed me, Seymour. Yeah, here's a flamethrower. I'll feed you that. Like, I'll feed you something. Here's some C4. Here's some Epsom salt. I don't know. Epsom salt? I don't know. I just thought salt killed plants. You ever seen on an episode of The Simpsons? I don't know why this made me think of it, but (laughs) Homer's building a float for the parade or whatever. And he needs flowers to decorate it. And he goes and picks all Ned Flanders' flowers. And Ned's like, well, Homer, I don't. I guess I don't mind that you picked all my flowers, but you didn't have to pour salt all over everything so <laughs> nothing grew back again. <laughs> so he stole all of his flowers and then poured salt so I think he couldn't still, grow them again. My favorite episode is that uh, when he defends Ned. Yeah? Because it's always Homer so against Ned. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't remember what the episode is about, but the whole town's like turning against him. He's like... And Homer, this is the him. best man in this town. Yeah, he's turned every cheek on his body for me. Yeah, <laughs> if the world had more dead Flanders, the world would be oh, we would need heaven because we'd already be there. I agree. I agree. I do Wasn't like he a serial killer there for a minute, Ned. Yeah, I don't I'm, maybe it was a little maybe it was one of the Halloween. Yeah, that makes more sense. Anyways, ready? Yep, the Brazilian monkey trap tree. Ooh, not a lot about this one. A couple of these are pretty short. Yeah. Uh, there's also another one in Africa that was really similar to this, the cow-eating tree. Okay. Which never ate a cow. It tried to, and that's where it kind of got its name. That's, it ate smaller mammals. Okay, gotcha. But very similar kind of trees or plants. The Brazilian monkey trap tree is supposed to a carnivorous plant seen by explorer uh, Martino de Salvini in, in Brazil. Salvini? Salvi? It's, uh, I'm going to guess Spanish. Probably. Portuguese, maybe? Portuguese. Yeah, here we go. So the description, in the trunk of the Brazilian monkey trap tree, it has a diameter of about 90 centimeters. And it's about 6 to 7 meters high. So less than 30 feet tall. So a very small tree. Around its lowest part of the tree are leaves, in which are about 0.9 by 20 centimeters large, in the thickness of a thumb. So big, fat, thick leaves. Okay. Oh, wow. These trees release a uh, discreet scent that attracts animals, especially monkeys. And I this is... Uh, for me, I look kind of into the scent. I've heard everything from chocolate to all kinds of stuff. Hmm. Very sweet. Yeah. What else tree released a very sweet scent? Um, the one from Madagascar. Yeah, the one from Madagascar. Yeah, exactly. Except it ate people, and they had, I guess, ecstasy. Yeah. Uh, anyways, the attracted animal would climb up into the trunk, and would be enveloped by its leaves, never to be seen again. Hmm. So leaves like kind of close in on it. Yeah, just like the, the Madagascar, Madagascar man-eating tree. Yeah. Uh, three days later, the leaves would open up again and they would drop the bones of their victims, which were very little left. Uh, some flesh was, it was still on the bones. Most of it was stripped. Yeah. Dang. So it's like the smaller version of the Madagascar Manningen tree. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And mostly it said eight birds and monkeys. It had been observed one time. Here's the thing with Brazil, the Amazon. Is that there are a bunch of things that were seen one time and never seen again. Yep. And they could be fake or real. It's, it could be heavily argued either way. There are a couple of animal species I can think of that have only been seen once and were discovered 150 years later again. Yeah. I um, mean, we even talked about with centipedes recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Brazilian monkey trip tree was described by R- Randall Suarez in his 1970 or 1974 book, Carnivorous Plants. His book referred to his reports from the explorer that I mentioned earlier, Salavantes or whatever. Were searching the settlement of the Yucatan Indians in the Brazilian border. He allegedly witnessed his plant devo- uh, devour several animals. Dang. He said they weren't extremely common. Yeah. But if you were out there exploring enough, you'd run into a couple of them. They weren't very distinct besides the smell. Oh, okay. I was so just, just kind of when you know you're in the, the big, area. Keep in mind, you're in the, the Amazon. Well, everything's, oh, yeah. everything is green. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's lost on people. Right. Is that the Amazon and the Congo, these two, and then the, the one in Australia, I can never mm-hmm. even remember the name of. Right. When you're in these rainforests, true, true rainforest, everything is green. Everything looks the same. You're so densely packed with vegetation Yeah. that you could be right next to one of these things and never know. Man, except that smell. Now, what's weird is in South America, there is a tree today that's the monkey tree. Okay. And it has a little pot of water. It, it like catches water in its basin. Okay. So monkeys can drink out of it and not have to go into the ground. Very okay. dangerous for a monkey to be on the ground in the in the Amazon. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
so what they do, but it's super deep. The holes are super deep, so they can't really drain it. Like they can't put their bodies. Monkeys will actually dip their tails in this, soak the water up in their tail, pull their tail out, and suck the water off their tail. Wow. Okay. So there are trees that are associated with monkeys. Yeah. So that was one of the thoughts that he may have misidentified what was happening. That uh, a monkey was crawling into one of these holes. And he thought it was stuck. Or, yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, the tree's eating that monkey. Yeah. I I could see this being a real species. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's tons of carnivorous plants from South America. Mm-hmm. Some are quite large, mm-hmm. not 30 feet tall. Right. But we've cut down a lot of the Amazon, cut and it just looks like a tree. We cut down a lot of a lot of uh, flora. Yeah. So what do you think about the monkey-eating tree? That'd be cool to see. Real, not real? I would believe it. I mean, uh, a couple of separate accounts you're talking about, mostly the one dude's account. but it's, I mean, the locals all talked about it. I mean, just imagine being, though, the, one of those first, not first explorers, but, you know, people in the old, like, unexplored, you know, fully industrialized, you know, uh, the world we live in today where everything's, like, connected or everything's exposed or been walked through, torn down, cut down, developed. Imagine being in, like, these remote areas. You know, there's there's still pockets of it today, but I'd say a majority of it wasn't, you know, in the, in these areas, like the, like the Congo and, like, the... Uh, Amazon rainforest, how awesome it would be to be discovering this stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. You ready for my next one? Yeah. Where does it take place? We're going to go back to Africa, Zululand. Okay. Don't know where Zululand is, but it's in Africa. Okay. This is a hard name. The Um D Hubi. Um D Hubi? The Um D Hubi. Okay. The Um D Hubi. A very fun sounding name for an awful thing. Does sound like fun. The Umdi Humdi, also known as these other impronounceable names. Okay. It has these little like other names. Nicknames or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is an unverified plant species uh, that mostly originates in Zululand, South Africa. It's first reported in the Journal of Nature in November 2nd, 1882. Wow. Okay. So it was reported as a real species discovery. Yeah. Uh, by revered J.W. Parker, a missionary of South Africa. So he had submitted several other species of animal, plant, and stuff to the Journal of Nature at the time. Yeah. So that's kind of what leads this one to be a little more credible. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about the story and we could decide for yourself. Okay. He has done this before for animals and plants that we know exist. Okay. The Umbahuni was described as having large, fragile green leaves and two layers of bark. The outer dead layer that hung off the tree almost like a coat, and the inner new layer that was living beneath it. Okay. Several. So before I continue on, several species of trees do this. Okay. Cork bark is a famous one. You buy it for your reptiles. It's actually the dead outer layer, protective layer of a living tree. Okay. It makes like it's it's like a callus almost makes for sense. people. Yeah. It's a protective. It's armor. So that's not an odd thing. I just wanted to point that out mm-hmm. in plants. It mm-hmm. has happened in several other plants. The fruit of the tree was reported to be red and black and hung in branches like small poles. Parker said that the umbahuni poisoned animals that approached it with a natural process of decay would then fertilize the soil in which it was growing on. Mm, yeah, I, any plant that's red and black probably ain't a good thing to eat. The ground was often littered with skeletons underneath these small trees. Mm. When damaged, it was reported to release a very dangerous caustic liquid. So it's like a big trap. Now, there's the like their Brazilian death tree and stuff like that. There are trees that, do that this? if you touch the liquid on them, you will die, and it'll be the worst way to die ever. What is it, like a neurotoxin? Like There's acids and all kinds. It, it, it's, there's the, uh, you know what an arboretum is, right? Uh, it's like a plant zoo. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yep, I got gotcha. you. Indoor, like plant zoo, yes. Yeah, and they can be outside too, but arboretums are pretty cool. Okay. There's the death arboretum in the UK, which every plant in there can kill you. Really? And it's huge. And some of these, there's just a couple of these trees, you touch them, you will die, but it's going to suck the whole time you're dying. Dang. It's not like you just pass out and die. Yeah. No, it burns. You're like on fire. Your skin That's blisters crazy. and pus pours out of every hole. That's crazy that these things even come about. So I'm just putting out that so far, nothing is crazy about this tree. He said it was because the fruit was specifically killing stuff very f- fast. To fertilize the soil underneath it. Okay. This tree had very few leaves. It was very old. It almost looks like a bonsai, you know, with the twist and the turns yeah. and the gnarledness of it. Yeah. Not a kept bonsai, like a wild bonsai. Right, right, right. 
Uh, they, they poisoned its animals, fertilized soil, the ground littered with skeletons. When damaged, it had the caustic fluid. Symptoms of the tree's poison reportedly included headaches, bloodshot eyes, severe pain, abdominal swelling, diarrhea, fever, deliria, uh, pustules, blisters, and then death. <laughs> and then death. Parker never identified the source of the na- or the nature of this poison, but hypothesized that it was a secretion of a poisonous gas from the soil around its roots rather than the tree itself. Ooh, interesting. In the 17th century, missionary Henry Cullaway recorded a case in which a large number of people had fatally or were fatally sickened after using uh, this tree's wood as a fuel source for cooking a fire. Oh, no. Cooking a f- Wait, to cook over? Yeah. Oh, no. They all died. Yeah, I, I imagine so. According to Parker, the Zulus sacrificed sheep and goats to these trees to calm the evil spirits that lived inside. Interesting. Unfortunately, as of 2013, no specimen of this tree has ever been recorded. Uh, other than the 19th century anecdotal evidence and no further verifications of its existence. So several other uh, botanists had, or missionaries, you know, they were calling themselves botanists at the time. There's no formal education. Right. But they were, you know, these were men that were doing this stuff, said that they'd seen these trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me personally, I think a tree this dangerous would probably be targeted to be removed. You throw fire at it and you run away. Right, yeah. Especially yeah. if its outer layer is dead. Yeah. It probably burned really, really well. Really easy, yeah. So I think that could be... I think this is a real one. I think so. I mean, there's plenty of examples. I don't know examples, about it killing but... animals to fertilize itself. I think it's more just killing animals to not eat them. Like, don't eat my kids. Gotcha, yeah. But, I mean, it could play hand in hand, though. I mean, it, it you know, it may have hyper-developed to do that. Rotting corpses yeah. are very caustic to plants. Mm, okay. That's why you like when you fertilize your soil with like chicken or horse manure. Yeah. You can't put it right on the stock of the plant because it will kill the plant. Right. Yeah. You have to put it away. So if rotting material will kill whole sections of vegetation, like you go out in the woods and you find a dead, like a rotting deer, all the plants are dead directly around it. But if you think about it too, though, it has that protective outer layer that doesn't really. I'm talking about the root system underneath. Oh, okay. Okay. That this is it's uh, eutrophying the soil. It's not good. For most forms of life, directly around after you know a year or two after, it's fine. Yeah, but it can kill everything unless this is also developed its and own. It could, yeah, system. Knowing that only it can take advantage of these nutrients, so it kind of develops this way of achieving or uh, obtaining them. I don't know, but I like, like you said, there's other plants that do similar things. It's not like it's unheard of. And umbihuti, umbihuti, yeah, it's something. Don't eat red and black fruited plants. I mean. I can't think of any good example. So they think there is a either the same plant or a close cousin in northern Africa that's referred to as the dead man's tree. Ooh, okay. Uh, it has a scientific name. It was so, in the early 19th century, it was so thought to be real yeah. that they gave it scientific classification and everything. Okay. Uh, Sembarurium caparilli. Ah, okay. Um, and it still, it still exists. It even has a different uh, subspecies, Europia caparelli. For, uh, yeah, so there you go. I mean, that's given it, it's given it credence if it has its own subspecies. Well, I'm just I'm putting it out there that at least by a lot of the people of the time, these guys were very credible. Right. Yeah. And they had, and we talked about the stellar animals, the stellar sea cows, so sea eagles, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And his mermaid, he's seen. Yeah. It wasn't like he wasn't publicizing. I seen a mermaid, you know, it was just the stellar sea ape was in the middle of all of his reports. Right. Yeah. And so he just was like, yeah, it's another just, animal I seen. Uh, yep. So it's very similar kind of bane to that. He wasn't pushing this, you know, I don't know. I think it was real. I agree. I'm with you on this one. My last one for you. Okay. The lamb of Tartary. Oh, okay. Do you know about this one? No, I don't, but it just has an interesting name. Mm. <laughs> it's odd. Is it a mammal or plant or whatever? We don't know. So Central Asia. Uh, the lamb of Tartary, also known as the vegetable lamb of Tartary, the Sicilian lamb, and then the, the oh gosh, the Bornemots, the Bornemots, the Bornemots, the Bornemots. They're all spelled differently to me, to my dyslexia. They're all pronounced the same. Same, okay. The vegetable lamb is what we're going to go with. Okay. Uh, it's Central Asia. It is believed to grow sheep as fruit. And the sheep are connected by the fruit by an umbilical cord. Interesting. What? That whole, everything you just said. Bump the mic stand. Oh, gosh, I'm dropping everything today. Hmm. 
Okay, keep going. This one's intriguing. That's all I got. Oh, that's it? No. Oh, okay. That's probably the one I have the most on. It is believed, like I said, in a book called The Vegetable Lamb of Tartary in 1887, Henry Lee describes the legendary lamb as both a true animal and a living plant. However, he states that some writers believe the lamb is only the fruit of the plant, sprouting forward from a melon-like seed. Others, however, uh, others, however, believe that the lamb was once a living member of the plant. It would perish if separated from it. Hmm, okay, so it has to be attached to the umbilical yeah. cord, basically. So, yes, there's a lot. There's a lot of different versions of the same legend. Okay, the vegetable lamb is believed to have blood, bones, and flesh of that of a normal lamb. It was once connected to the earth by its stem, similar to that of the umbilical cord. And it propped the lamb above the ground. The stem con- uh, continued flexibly downward, allowing the lamb to feed off the grass and plants surrounding it. Once the plant within it reach, our reach was eaten, the lamb would die. Okay. Then after expiring, the lamb became edible, and its blood supposedly tasted like sweet, sweet honey. Its wool was said to be used by the native people of its homeland to make its coverings and other articles of clothing. The only carnivorous animal attracted to the lamb plant, however, other than humans, were wolves. Oh. The rest of the carnivorous wildlife avoided them. Okay. A similar, and we could talk, and let's, before I move on, let's say this is really a plant that yeah. happens to have a lot of locomotion. Yeah. Wolves eat plants. Okay. It's kind of a Nord fact that they are obligate carnivores. Wolves eat a lot of berries. Okay. Wolves and canids will eat anything that is edible. Wolves are smart enough to learn that there are other options. Than just, yeah, yeah, hunting. They can't digest plant matter, truly. Fruit's a little different. Oh, yeah. Fruit's highly sure. sugarous, highly nutritious. Sugarous. So, yeah, sugarous. So to me, if, let's say this is real, and this is actually a plant with a lot of locomotion. Yeah. That, that's what you're seeing. They, that's why wolves would also do it. It's because they can learn that this is edible. Especially if it looks like something. It's they're... moving a lot. Yeah. Uh, similar creature is mentioned in Jewish folklore. Ooh. As early as 1437 A.D., 1436, I'm sorry, called the, now I'm not a good Hebrew speaker. Yeah, y'all do. The y'all do? The y'all do? Y'all do. Y'all do whatever you want. Yeah. It's a lamb-like form that sprouted out from a stem. The only way the lamb could be killed was by uh, severing it from its stem. Once killed, the bones were used for uh, divination and ceremonies. Another version of the legend calls it the Jedahui. In this version, the Jedahui is, aggress- is aggressively killing any other beings that one are too close. So it looks like a, it looks like a harmless lamb that's on the stem, but it's actually quite aggressive and dangerous. So it's the wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes. The travelers of Sir Jol- John Merdeville, 1357 to 1371, describe this plant as growing in tartary. It produces fruits resembling gourds. Once ripened, it is cut open and reveals what looks like a lamb. It is, even has wool. So that's a different... The fruit and the lamb were edible. That's a different version then. Yeah, there's a whole thing is circling around yeah. lamb fruit. Right, yeah. Gustave Sangagali uh, cites the Chinese legends of a water sheep as the inspiration of the lamb of Tartary in his book, The Sherugi, or The Water Sheep of the Augustus Sicilians in the Vegetable Lamb of 1892. The water sheep was thought to be that both plant and animal, like that of the vegetable lamb. It had a stem connecting it to the ground, and if the stem was severed, it would die. So very similar legends across the board. Yeah. The creature was surrounded by an enclosure that was guarded by a man in armor who banged drums to ward off aggressors. Hmm. Okay, here's another one for you. Sagamaris von Harbastein, the ambassador of the European Maxillian uh, in Charles V., in 1517 and 1526, writes that his notes from Russia. In the neighborhood of the Caspian Sea, between the rivers Vog and Jacqueline, formed the delta in which a king of the Vorfa, certain Tartarans, in whose country was founded by a wonderful and almost incredible curiosity in which the, the person of high authority gave the following account, namely the father, who sat in the, the embassy by the Duke of Moscovy. <laughs> Oh, my God. Not Duck. No. Duke. <laughs> yeah, the Duke of Muscovy. To the Tartary king of the country referred to whilst here. Basically, he's seen the lamb, too. Uh, he said, in which they sat on the earth, grew resembled that of a lamb. It attended its heights of about two to two and a half feet, in which they were called in their language in the country Borzamats, or little lambs. 
and the head, it had a head, eyes, and ears, and all the other parts of the body of a newborn lamb. He also stated that it was exceedingly soft wool, which was frequently used for manufacturing of head coverings. Hmm. Mainly persons who were affiliated to, or were affirmed to me that they had seen such wool. Further, he told me that the plant, if it was a plant, should be called it had blood, but not true flesh. In its, uh, in its place of flesh, it had a substance similar to that of the flesh of a crab, which is also flesh. <laughs> and it had hoofs, but not horns, like those of a lamb. But its hair brought together into the form of a, di- a divided hoof of that of a lamb. So it was qu- not quite a lamb, but looked very similar. Right, yeah. It is rooted in the navel in the middle of the belly. Okay. There's a lot more. But, but basically, this thing has been seen all over Europe and Asia yeah. forever. Yeah, that just almost leads to some credibility to it. But I mean, I'm talking, I had the first one was 14 or 400 something AD. Yeah. Yeah. All the way, you know, several kings ago. talk about it, several powerful people talk about it, several powerful people had seen it. I wonder if what at its root, you know, there is. Let's talk about that. I have thoughts. Yeah. Okay. So it's not. Let's talk about the wolves. I really want to dive into the wolves. Okay. This thing looks like a lamb, okay? What do wolves are famous for enjoying lambs, especially right. at this time? What if this is a reproductive lure and the main passenger that they're targeting are wolves? Or just wolves or any sort of predator. Predator. Yeah. So this is not uncommon in the animal and plant kingdom, mimicking prey items to draw in predators, to spray their spores or their seeds or to, their offspring right, on and to, let them carry them away. Exactly, yeah. So what are this jolting, almost-looking lamb thing that's it's basically, it's not a lamb. Right, right. But it looks like a lamb, is to attract predators to attack it to help spread the seeds it's, or the spores. Exactly, yeah. This happens everywhere in nature. Everything from mussels, using them, uh, they have their gills. They'll push out. They literally look just like little fish. They have eyes and gills and fins and everything on them. Okay. They push this out, so a big, large predatory fish will come grab their gill slit, and they'll spray their their babies on them, and their babies will hook onto the skin of these big fish <laughs> and get p- carried all around. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and then plants use this, like everything mimicking for both pr- defense and for reproduction. Right, yeah. Uh, mostly some smells and even and stuff like that. So what if this is that, that they're trying to lure in predators Oh, I could see that 100%. That's That was my thought when you were telling all this stuff. And this umbilical, this sheep's pretty much just walking in a circle Yeah. until something finds it. Right. And then if you pick it, it dies. I wonder, too, though, if if these were real, how cool would this be to have in your backyard, one of them? I mean, it'd be like a big plant. That would be, I know, it'd be amazing. And throw, grow one of these in your greenhouse. I, I would eat the lamb. I would eat it. And a lot of people had eaten them, and that's, I don't know. I What? I think they're, I think they're real. Well, I think yeah, I think well, I think they're at least rooted in some form of. There's something real there. Yeah, there's some real nugget and, there. I wonder if it's, and I'm wondering if some remote part somewhere, if one like still exists, if it's still out there, that would be amazing. It's just finding, you know, finding being that one lucky person. But even if you come across it, you might like know that's what it is. Like, oh, if if it resembles like a sheep or a lamb. Man, how crazy would that be to stumble across? I just that kind of blows my mind because I believe it's it might have been real. There's part of me that just feels like this actually existed, and if it's still out there, man, and I think I some will, of the legends may have been a little more exaggerated. For sure, yeah, as they all are. That's why I think at root, at its root, there's something there that was real, whether it actually walked around or if it just grew a fruit or you know that resembled. A sheep or a lamb. We've talked about There's plenty of both plants and funguses that taste like meat. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, like there's a, I can't, I, is it jackfruit? That yeah. Is pulled pork? Yep. Jackfruit's great too. Uh, but yeah, so there's plenty of plants that have fruit that tastes like meat. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't taste like meat. It has a meat texture almost to it. Jackfruit does. People use it as a pulled pork substitute for yep. vegetarians. But you, you just got to cover it in barbecue sauce oh, yeah, and spices. Yeah. That's what makes it taste like the meat. But They say it tastes ma- like meat, though. Uh, there's there's just, two types of flesh in jackfruit. Right, yeah. It's just, it. it's more of it feels like meat. Okay. It, it feels like it's like you're chewing meat, like if you break it down. But no, it tastes like a, um, it's almost like a tropical tasting fruit. Hmm. Like it's got that 
banana, mango-y, you know, pineapple-y, all rolled into one, but it's, but it's also got a pretty distinct odor. Like it's, it almost smells like, it smells kind of stinky, but when you eat it, it's, it's like all these tropical fruits rolled into one. It's, it's pretty neat. So what do you think? You think plants are sentient? A hundred percent. Yes. I, I, I think, think the, I think the earth is sentient. There may be enough to do crypto botany part three. Oh, so stay tuned. And I'm trying to sp- spread them out. It'll be a while. Yeah. But there's a lot of weird ones like the blood sucking vines, the cow eating tree. Yeah. Uh, there's a dragon one. Ooh. It's literally from Europe. Is that it's where a dragon dra- tree? Is that where dragon fruit comes from? No. You shouldn't no. eat dragon fruit. No, not dragon fruit. You shouldn't eat star fruit. So yeah, don't eat star fruit. They're bad for your kidneys. Yep. There's they have crystals that shred your kidneys at them. There's a good uh, PSA this episode. Avoid uh avoid starfruit. Avoid starfruit and, and flesh lamb, eating lamb of tartary. No, find those. Eat those. I would encourage eating those. It's the first one we talked about. That one. Uh, uh don't if a gourd talks, you don't yes. don't trust a talking plant. Light it on fire. Be like, all right, I'll be, I'll go get you something. I'll be right back. Yeah, here's some gasoline. Yeah, yep. That's what I, exactly what I was gonna say. I have been the great and powerful mystery. You know, green thumb mystery. The great and green thumb yeah. mystery. And I've been J Clone 47. And we'll catch you next week with more cryptons on the corn. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Crypts of the Corn podcast. Please share with a friend you think would like us. It's the best way to help our show grow. Leave a comment, rate us, a five-star review. And remember, there is always extra content on Patreon slash CryptoTheCorn.com. And don't forget, stay magical.